0: Morning City Light. Well I'm excited to be here. I don't know about you but uh, I enjoy Sunday mornings especially today. Thank you for coming. Like Willie said I know you lost an hour of sleep but this room is still full so uh, it looks like somebody loves Jesus. At least, more than, uh, at least more than an extra hour of sleep. All right, well, today we're going to keep tracking through Ephesians. We've been in the book of Ephesians um, for the last, I don't know, five weeks or something. Um, and so we're, we're going to keep going. We're in Ephesians chapter four today. You just heard the first half of it read, and we got some work to do uh, this morning. So I want to start off, I don't have a catchy little intro. I just want to start off by telling you my goal for this morning. Okay. What do I want to accomplish today? Number one, I want to celebrate what Jesus has already done for us. Okay. We want to celebrate what he's already done for us. And then I want you to see your role in what he's doing now among us. Okay. I'm going to say it one more time. I want to celebrate what Jesus already did for us. And I want each of you, not you generally, each of you individually to see your role in what God is doing now among us. All right, so you ready to walk this road with me this morning in Ephesians 4? That's what we're going to do. Here's the outline. We're going to jump in right away. Uh, Built up in Jesus. Here's my three points. Jesus got the victory. We get the spoils and the church gets built. Jesus got the victory, we get the spoils, the church gets built. That's going to preach today, so let's go. Uh, You may have noticed, we read 16 verses uh, earlier. Derek did, did a great job. And one of them was this kind of obscure uh, quote from the Old Testament. Did you guys catch that when he was reading it? I want to read it to you again. This is what it says. When he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, maybe you know more about your Bibles than I did when I read this just a couple weeks ago to start preparing. Maybe you know more than I did, but I thought, I don't know what that means I don't know where that came from. I'm guessing, if I were going to guess, the Sunday school answer would be that Jesus is the one who ascended. That one I know, but uh, who are the captives, and what are the gifts, and who are the people that get them? I just don't know. And so uh, I jumped in. I did a little book learning from some people who are smarter than me, right, and have written on this, and I found out this is a pretty cool image. It's a great picture, and so let me take you where I got to go. This quote is from a a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 68. And in the time when it was first written, this is what a battle was like, all right? A warrior would set out to go into battle and would have an army behind him. And as he set out to go to battle, there would be a warrior on the other side with his army going to battle too, And so they would meet up, and each of them had a goal. Their goal was, we're going to wipe out the other guy's army, but we're going to capture the guy. They want to wipe out all of the army that stood against them, that pestered them, that was attacking them. Wipe them all out except for that king or general, commander, whoever it was that was leading the charge, that person we don't kill, we capture. Why? Why would you do that? You did that because that warrior who went into battle, he wanted to capture that guy so that he could put him in a cage, and then he would drag that cage on a parade through the towns and cities in his homeland. That parade, as he did it, he would, he would walk through his towns and cities with his captured enemy behind him as indisputable evidence that victory was secure. As he walked through his hometown, he would tell everybody, look, we won. He lost. We're, victory is ours, defeat is theirs, he's captured, he has no more army to defend him, no more power to attack us. We're the winner, he's the loser, the battle is ours. And so we go on this great victory parade, it was awesome. Now imagine yourself in that day, all right, uh, you aren't the warrior. Okay, that's not the part that we get to play in this picture. You're not the warrior. You're one of the people back in town. Imagine yourself in that day. You're under attack from an enemy king who just pesters you, plunders you, and you cannot overcome him. You're just waiting for somebody who can defend you. And then all of a sudden, one of your people rises up as a warrior and says, I'll go to battle. And so your fate is tied directly. It's interwoven with the fate of your warrior. He's going to go out to battle. If he wins, you win. If he loses, you lose. You don't, ta- you don't take part in the fight, but you take part in the outcome. Okay. Imagine yourself in that situation. You don't go to battle, you don't defeat the enemy, but oh, if victory is secure. You know what your warrior's going to do? He's going to throw your enemy in a cage, he's going to go on parade, and he's going to invite you to it. He's going to invite you into the victory that he secured that you couldn't have secured by yourself. The Bible says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives." The Bible is telling us today that's a picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's a picture of what Jesus has done. He is the victor. So let me tell you the story. God looked out over his people and he saw that sin and Satan and death had colluded together to come against his people. God's people who he created to worship him were under attack And they could not win the battle on their own. Things looked bad. They they were trapped. Humanity needed a warrior. They needed somebody to represent them in the battle that they were losing. And God knew it. And he didn't leave us there. He sent a warrior. He sent his son, Jesus. So Jesus stepped out of heaven, down to earth, to be our warrior representing us in the battle that we could not win, and he went to battle against Satan and sin and death. And this is what it looks like, the Bible tells us. After Jesus was baptized, just after he rises up out out of the water, God looks down, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What happens next? Satan leads him out into the wilderness and tempts him. Satan tempted Jesus. He went to battle. This is your warrior. I'm going to war against this guy. And Satan tempted him. And Jesus endured it. And despite all the temptations, Jesus never caved. Those temptations could not make him waver in his devotion to his father. Jesus won the battle against Satan. But the war raged on. Right? There were more enemies coming at him. So After he walks out of the wilderness, won that battle, he continued his ministry and he came under more attack. People started accusing Jesus, the son of God, of being a sinner. And so sin starts to go to battle on Jesus. Oh, Jesus, he's a sinner. He's unclean. He didn't observe the Sabbath. He's broken the law. He's encouraging cannibalism. Actually got accused of that. He's even a blasphemer. Sin went to battle. Jesus is a sinner like us. They accused him. And though all those accusations were false, they were lodged nonetheless. They lied about him. They tested him. They tried to outsmart, outwit, and deceive him. Anything that might get Jesus to cave, to become a sinner like they were. I like the saying, sinful people respond to sin with sin. Sinful people respond to sin with sin. Say it another way. Sinful people respond sinfully when they're sinned against, okay? People sinned against Jesus, and he proved he was not a sinner because he always responded in grace. Though people accused him, though they tempted him and tested him, tried to outsmart, outwit, and deceive him, Jesus never sinned. He won the battle against sin. It could not take him captive. But the war raged on. All those accusations eventually led to a trial where Jesus was sentenced to death. And that sentence was executed. If things looked dark for humanity before he came, in the moment where he hung on that cross, breathed his last, and died, the entire sky turned black. There could not have been a darker moment than the moment when our representative warrior hung on the cross and death dealt a heavy blow. Would he succumb to this last battle? You all know the story. Our warrior hung on that cross, he breathed his last, and they laid him in a tomb. But he would not stay there. Death had conquered every other person, but Jesus overcame from womb to tomb, Jesus endured every trial and test and temptation that we did. He fought every battle that's come against us, and yet He overcame in His matchless power, in an awesome display of power that no other person could ever display. Though he was laid in the tomb, he shed his burial clothes. He stood up off that deathbed and he walked out of the tomb, defeating Satan, sin, and death forever. The battle that we could not win, God sent a representative warrior to fight for us. He ascended on high and he led a host of captives. Who were the captives? Satan, sin, and death. The battle was real. Their power was strong, but our warrior was stronger. And his victory is just as real. Are you with me? Jesus won. Jesus got the victory. Satan, sin, and death have been defeated. Amen. Can I tell you today, I want to celebrate that Jesus got the victory. I want you to celebrate with me today that we serve a victorious Savior. Someone who fought what we couldn't fight to win what we couldn't win. Take Take a moment. I want you to cement this image in your heart and in your soul. Jesus is the victor. Cement it there because the world will tell you that Jesus is old and irrelevant They'll tell you that his laws are burdensome and his rules are bigoted. Don't believe those lies. The one who's telling them has been captured. He is being marched on on, uh, parade in defeat. His only goal, his only power is to try to convince people watching that parade to climb into that cage with him. Do not believe the lies of this world because the one who's telling them is already defeated. Follow the victor, the one who's marching in the parade, who's inviting you to look and see what he already did for you. Jesus got the victory. And I wanna tell you, that victory is not something that just happened 2,000 years ago, okay? It's not something that's old and irrelevant. It's not a story that we tell to remember what happened a long time ago. It means something for us today, All right, Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death. What does that mean for us? I'll give you a couple ideas. I think it means that sickness and disease can't defeat us. Okay, sickness and disease, they may attack our bodies. They may hurt us and harm us, make our bodies decay. They might even one day kill us. Yeah, we don't fear that. Why? We don't fear death. Because even if they kill our bodies, Jesus is the one who overcame death, right? Our hope is eternal. Our hope endures past the grave because our Savior endured past the grave. They may tell us, but they can they may kill us, but they can't take our lives, right? Jesus has them secure. So sickness and disease, they can't defeat us. Sin can't defeat us either. As you sit there right now, I would imagine that some of you are hiding sin. Okay, let me slow down for a minute. I, I just said, I would imagine as you sit there right now, some of you are hiding sin. Is that, is that true? Um, I would imagine that some of you might think Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death, but I sure feel defeated by sin. It maybe latched onto your soul so that you feel trapped, on a, it, like he there's no way of escape. Does sin have a hold on you? Today I said that Jesus has defeated sin, doesn't have to defeat us. And you may say, but I'm living defeated by sin. Sin won yesterday, and maybe sin's already won today. Before you came here to praise Jesus for his victory over sin, sin already found victory over you. If that's you, sin feels defeating. Oh, Christian, take heart. That defeat is short-lived. That sin cannot win eternity because victory has already been secured. Sin's been beat up, caged up, moved on display in a parade of defeat headed toward its ultimate destruction. Sin has no power over you anymore. We don't have to see sin as a straitjacket with no way of escape. We can see sin as the one who's caged up who cannot escape. Sin has been defeated, and it no longer needs needs to defeat us. Jesus has victory, and he's inviting you and I into it. Okay, let me read the verse one more time. When he ascended on high, after he came into battle on our behalf, after he did war against Satan's sin and death and defeated them for all time, he rose from that grave. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Let me tell you the good news of the gospel from this verse. When we were under attack from the enemies of God, Jesus came down. He went to battle as our representative warrior, and he decisively won. The enemies have been taken captive, and now Jesus is on victory parade, and he's inviting everybody who's watching to join him in it. All right? That's you and me. That's good news. All right? So point number one, Jesus got the victory. Do you believe that? Do you know that? We have to know that. Jesus got the victory. Okay, point number two, we get the spoils. Jesus got the victory, we get the spoils. If Jesus got this victory, he's captured our enemies, what's all the talk about the gifts, right? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captains, he gave gifts to men. What's that mean? How's that fit in? Well, we still have parades today. You guys go to parades? Uh, there's this kind of unspoken, but... Uh, well-known rule. If you're an adult and you go to a parade, you sit a few feet off the curb, right? Why? Why do you do that? Because who sits on the curb? It's all the kids. Why do kids want to sit on the curb at a parade? Why do kids go to the parade? So they can see and so they get the candy, right? Listen, this is what happens at a parade. We sit our kids on the side of the street, So that as strangers pass by and throw them candy, they can run out into the street near moving vehicles and pick up candy thrown from strangers. If you think about it enough, this might not be a good idea, but this is what we all do. And we love it, right? That's why kids go to a parade. Because they get candy. Listen, this is not a new idea. This is an old idea. This comes from a long time ago. Right? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he did what? He gave gifts to men. Let's go back to the Old Testament. What happens when that victor gets victory over his enemy? He throws him in a cage, and then he walks into his storehouse, his treasury. Wherever he keeps all his treasure and he captures all of it. He gets all of it. And there may be a cage wagon with the, with the king who's been taken captive. But behind that, there's a treasure wagon. And all the money and jewels and treasure, they go in there. All right? And then on this victory parade, somebody's leading that defeated king down the street. But you know what the victor's doing? He's standing in the treasure box showering everybody. Right? With treasure. He's saying, I got the victory, but you share the spoils. All right, money, throwing it out there. Jewels, treasury, it's all for you. Our victor gives gifts to men. I don't know about you, but that's a parade I'm going to and I'm celebrating. And sorry, kiddos, but I want to seat on the curb because I'm going to get as many of those gifts as I can get. All right, we're going to sit up front. Jesus got the victory. We get the victory. Spoils. Now you might ask, what kind of gifts does Jesus give? What kind of gifts did He secure that He's raining out on us today? And that's a good question. So that's where I want to go. What do the gifts look like? Here, let's go back to God's Word. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ got a gift and then He gave grace. Grace was given to us. To each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, why, jump down a couple verses, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, in God's grace, he's given each one of us gifts to equip us for the work of ministry. Now I want you to notice something right away. Who got the gifts? Each one of us. Not a few of us. Not some of us, not the pastors, not the city group leaders, not just the men, not just the women, not just the tall people, all right? Not just the short people. Who got the gifts? Each one of us. Each one of you got the gifts. And other places in the Bible... Uh, They're called spiritual gifts, okay? Um, Here, it's called God's grace. Other places, they're called spiritual gifts. This isn't the only place they're mentioned. Places like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, they actually list some out for us, okay? They're not uh, exhaustive lists, but they start giving us a beginner's guide to what these gifts look like, and so I want to just read a couple for you, walk you through what uh, some of them sound like, okay? Here's... A list from 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Gifts look like wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, teaching, service, administration. Thank you, God, for people who have that gift. It's not me. Encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, hospitality, tongues, prophecy, and evangelism. That's just the start. Jesus' gifts are diverse, and they're yours. He's showering them down on us, okay? I would love, um, I would love to spend a lot of time on spiritual gifts, but that's a whole nother sermon. So here's what I want you to know today. Jesus created you and given you particular gifts that shape your character and personality into a unique part of his body, okay? Jesus intentionally gives gifts to each one of you to equip you to take part in the work of his ministry. You got it? This is is where I wanna go today. Those gifts aren't intended just to make you special, though they certainly do that. It's unique in the eyes of God. Those gifts are intended, they're given with a purpose, and it's to equip you for the work of ministry. In light of that, I just want to address some thoughts that I imagine are out there. He's given you gifts to equip you for the work of ministry. If you listened to me say that we don't have to fear Satan's sin and death anymore, but you sat there and thought, but I do. Death is scary, I still fear that. If, if you heard me say, you don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore, and then thought, but I am. I can't get out of it. I don't know. It sounds good, but I don't know how to get there. If you thought those things, then I want you to hear this. Our victor, Jesus Christ, gives gifts to his people to equip them to follow him in his victory to do ministry alongside him. Okay, you couldn't have defeated the enemy on your own. You couldn't have stopped fearing on your own. You couldn't have found freedom on your own. The hold our enemies had on us was strong, but our warrior was stronger. Jesus got the victory and he gives gifts to his followers to equip them to follow him in victory. Satan's sin and death have been defeated, and now Jesus is building his church. He got the victory. We get the spoils. He's showering them down upon us. Have you gotten them? Have you received those? I said I wanted to uh, celebrate what Jesus has done for us. I want to just point you a little bit to the great victory parade that he's marching on. Have you seen it? You know what it's like? Are you joining me there? I also said, I want us not just to see what Jesus has done for us, but I want you to know your part, your role in what he's doing among us, even now, okay? And so that's where we're going to end. Jesus got the victory. We get the spoils. The church gets built, okay? Um, That's great news, we got the gifts, but what do we do with it? How do we respond? Uh, those Old Testament victors, they didn't just capture their enemy and go on parade. They didn't just capture their enemy and shower out all the gifts you know, um, to their people. They would reserve some of that treasure, and when they went back, they would start building up their cities. They would start fortifying the walls and solidifying the ground. Those victors used their treasure to build their city. City Light, I'm going to end today by making the claim we got some church building to do, okay? We got some work to do in light of the victory that's been secured. So I want to shoot straight with you for a minute. I am unashamedly passionate about and working toward building up the church of Jesus Christ. I unashamedly and un- without reservation want to see the church of Jesus Christ built in your hearts, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, and all the nooks and crannies, and corners, and streets, and neighborhoods of our city. I want it to reach out beyond our city into the region. I want to see disciples multiplied and more churches planted because Jesus is a victor who's given us gifts to do the work of ministry and build up his church. I want to be about that, and I'm passionate for it. And so let me tell you, I sat in my dorm room more than 12 years ago, and I was a college student. I'd never heard of church planting. I'd never met a church planter, but as I sat there and prayed, God, what would you have for my life? What, would you, what do you want me to do? I just don't know. You're in college, you know, and you're going to graduate someday, and you got to do something now. And I didn't know what I was going to do, and so I'm just praying, God, what would you have for me? And I became convinced. He was telling me, you need to plant a church in Council Bluffs. It was not an audible voice from the outside, right? It was more like this ever more solid conviction on the inside. He's just building in me this desire to see a church planted in Council Bluffs. That might be a strange call to most people, right? But I was, I'm from Southwest Iowa. It's my home. I know it. I know what it's like. This is who I am and where I'm from. And I know that there are good churches here. Don't get me wrong. People love Jesus, but there aren't enough of them. And we live in an ever darker land. I don't know about your world, but in my world, I have family and friends that don't love Jesus. Not only do they not love Jesus, they don't know about him or who he is. They've not been told about him. And they have no idea that there's a great victory parade marching right past them. And so they're missing it, all of it. I don't know about your world, but there are a lot of people in my world that need Jesus. We live in an ever darkening land and it hurts my heart. And so I long to see the church built up. Oh, be encouraged. Jesus is building his church and he's equipped us to do the work of ministry. Um, How does this happen? How do we do it? How do we pursue that mission together? Um, this is what the Bible says. Let's go back one more time. Uh, these are the last two verses of the passage we read today. How do we walk in Jesus' victory and use the gifts that equip us to build up the church? Here it is. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're to grow up into the head, every part working properly, so that it builds itself up in love. Here's the picture. It's a body. Jesus is the head of that body. We are the parts Of that body. And we're told, parts, you gotta grow up into the head. What's that mean? Well, if you've ever seen a brand new baby after it's born, her head is too big for her body, right? You see a little baby stretch and their arms get about this high. They can't even touch the top of their heads, right? They gotta grow into their head. They gotta get muscles and coordination so that they can lift those big heads to see, so they can turn them around, right? Babies gotta grow into their heads. Let me tell you another story. I had a friend who spent some time in rural Africa. When he came back, one of the stories he loved to tell is that over in rural Africa, they did not use age as the determining factor to know when kids ought to go to school. That's what we do here. You turn four years old, five years old, then we send you off to school. In Africa, they didn't do that. Um, Over there where he was, they knew when their kids were ready to go to school when they could reach their arm over top of their head and grab their ear on the other side. No joke. That's what they did. When you can grab your ear on the other side, when you had grown into your head, you're ready to go. You're ready to get to work. This is what they're telling us. This is what Paul is telling us today. When Jesus started the victory parade, the church was born and he's saying, we got to grow up into our head we got to build our strength, gain coordination. All those joints have got to learn to work together. All those parts have got to figure out their function so that we can lift that head high, so that we can operate in the ministry that that head is directing and empowering us to do. Our head is giving the body gifts so that we can do the work of ministry, and everybody's got them. Every part has a role to play. Listen, the lungs don't breathe. They don't expand without the ribs, right? The legs, they don't know where to put the feet unless the eyes are looking out telling them where to go, right? Your nose gets clogged. It doesn't get picked without the fingers. Everybody's got a role to play, right? Everybody does, Everybody has to jump in on this, okay? We believe here at City Light that God has actually empowered each one of you to do the work of ministry. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the city group leaders. It's not just Willie and the worship team. God has empowered every one of the saints, each one of you, to step out and do the work of ministry. The body builds itself up in love when each part is working properly. Are you doing the work of ministry? We believe that it's absolutely critical for the church to be built up, to grow into the head that each one of the saints is working properly in the body. So how do we do that? How do we invite you into that? I'm going to tell you. um, We champion this all the time, but I'm going to do it again. It happens here in city groups. Okay, Many of you guys come here and serve on Sunday mornings. Thank you. That builds the church. We need that to happen. We're grateful for it. But listen, there is so much room for you to find out how Jesus has gifted you. There's so much room for you to exercise those gifts in a city group. A city group is a small group of eight to 20 people who gather together throughout the week and use their gifts to build up the church. We're serious about this. Right now, of everybody who joins us on a Sunday morning, about 50% of you also join a city group throughout the week. 50%. Let me me cast a vision for you. Imagine if that number wasn't 50%, but it was 110%. What if we had 110% of the people who join us on Sunday morning joining us in a city group throughout the week? What would that mean? That would mean that the body of Christ is functioning so well, all the parts are working together, that people would start joining the parade of Jesus our victor before they ever walk through these doors. Before they ever have to come in and sit in this chair and hear a little guy with a beard start ranting about the Bible, right? They heard some other part of the body telling them about Jesus and they got involved and they might come here because they went there first. You can use your gifts to the glory of God in a city group. Listen, city group is a place where people who are gifted with hospitality can invite people into their homes and make them feel welcome. City group is a place where people who are gifted with encouragement can build up people who are down. It's hard to have those conversations on Sunday morning. City group is a place where people gifted with faith can walk with those who struggle with doubt Do you have questions about what I'm saying today? Most of you don't come ask me about them at the end of this service on Sunday. All of you could ask each other about them in Citigroup. It's an awesome place to do that. It's a city group where people gifted with service can rally their small group of people to seize opportunities to bless the people and neighborhoods around them in our city. It's in city group where those of us who are sick can pray for healing and care for each other. It's there where those gifted with evangelism can spur on the faith of the rest of us when we get to see people come to know Jesus and join a city group because of the work that you do among the lost. There is no better place in City Light Church to jump in and use the gifts that our victor has given us to build up the church than City Group. So I'm begging you today, please take this seriously. We trumpet all the time. City Light is a church that gathers and scatters. We do not say that this is church. We say you are the church. So when you gather here today, this is the church. And when you scatter throughout the week, that is the church too. Jesus died so that you could be there and worship him there, not just here. We're serious about city groups. Here's the good news. Jesus is building his church. It's happening. It's amazing to see what he's done even in our church in the short time we've been around. Less than a year. Let me tell you a few things. We've seen 14 people get baptized, give their lives to Jesus. We've seen 13 babies get dedicated. We've seen more than 10 city groups launch around our city. And what started as a little group of 50 people right here in this room has grown to six times that size. Jesus is breaking addictions and he's repairing marriages. Jesus is killing sin, and he's breathing life into the people who were killed by their sin. The victory parade is on the move, but the work isn't done. We live in a city of 70,000 people, and 60,000 of them still don't have a church home. There is a lot of church building and growing that can be done, and I'm praying that Jesus would do that among the saints who are sitting in this room in these chairs today. Are you ready to join that parade? If you're following Jesus the victor, then you've been gifted and equipped for the work of ministry. He's leading the parade. The enemies have been defeated. The gifts are raining down. So City Light, let's follow him together and build up his church. Amen? Amen. Amen.